In this series, what we really want to do is take a couple of weeks to come back to the very heart of who we are and who we've been called to be as a church family. The difference we believe we've been called to make in our community. And this is something we love to do at least once a year, to just come back to the heart and be reminded of the DNA that God has encoded into our very uh, fabric. And um, uh, this, this morning, we, we, we want to take some time to really revisit the reality that as a church, we've been called to show and to share the love of Jesus. Um, we've been called to show and to share the love of Jesus Christ. And we want to talk about both of those things, showing and sharing in really practical ways. And I just want to warn you that this conversation may get maybe a little bit boring and it may get a little bit uncomfortable. Both of those things, um, I think are probably going to be true. Um, I don't think they should be, but they tend to be. This morning, we're going to take some time to revisit the gospel, the very heart of what Jesus has done for us and what he has called us to do in the world around us. The problem with that is for many of us who've grown up in the church, we've become so overly familiar with the gospel, we've lost our sense of wonder, and it's become almost this boring thing. My wife and I were traveling uh, last week, and uh, man, on one of the flights, I happened to be sitting right next to the flight attendant who was giving the precautionary demonstration ahead of the flight. And you could tell she was prepared. She had done her work. She had her props. She had her gestures. She was just, you know, pointing in the appropriate directions at the appropriate times, all while she attempted to tell us what we needed to know in case of an emergency. Hey, this plane could go down. We hope it doesn't, but if it does, here's some critical things you might need to know for your own survival. And as I expected, I looked around the airplane and not a soul was paying attention to her. Bless her heart. And I remember thinking like, man, that's sometimes what it's like in church. (laughs) I feel you. I feel you, especially when people feel like we have heard this all before. But my prayer is that there would be no sense of familiarity when it comes to the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he calls us to do for the world around us. So if you have a copy of the Bible, let's talk about the gospel. We are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are going to spend um, the bulk of our time... There, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse number 16. And here's what it says. I'm going to read this whole section of scripture. um, And we're going to come back and spend some time talking about it. Here's what it says. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Here's our story. Therefore, verse 17, 
if anyone is in Christ, they've put their faith in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's the gospel. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 21, the end of that passage is one of the most beautiful summaries of the gospel work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in my opinion. Look at it again. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. That is what theologians often refer to as the substitutionary atonement on account of the fact that Jesus subbed in for us, on account of the fact that in the gospel, Jesus Christ traded places with sinful people like you and like me. He traded places with us, which is at the very heart of The gospel. Jesus said, I'll take your sin. You take my righteousness. Let's trade. I'll take your punishment. You take my privileges. Let's make this trade. I'll take your brokenness. You take my blessing. The trade. The unbelievable heart of The gospel, that Jesus took our place. Jesus traded places with sinners. And it's so interesting, the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, I think uh, the prophet paints one of the most vivid pictures of this very thought of Jesus trading our places. He just brings so much more life and color to this substitutionary atonement. And this is what he says. This is Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4. Describing this trait. Says surely he Jesus took up our pain. And he bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him in this great trade. And by his wounds, we got healed. Because here was the thing, and this was true about us. This was our story. Verse number six, we, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. What an incredible, vivid picture of our gospel story and the trade that Jesus made with us. The prophet says each human being, each human soul on earth staged a rebellion and willingly defected from God's rule and God's rules. Each of us decided like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. I'm not going to have some creator tell me what to do. It's my life, so I'm going to live my life my way. Romans chapter 3 describes this as all of us having sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard of perfection. Every single one of us rebelled and defected from the king. We said, I will be my own king and I will do my own thing. The problem is you don't get to rebel against the holy king of the universe without holy consequence. And Romans chapter 6 verse 23 announces that now the consequences for rebelling against God is death. The wages of sin is Death, Ephesians chapter 2, puts it a little more vividly. He says, no, our sin, our rebellion against God guarantees that we all become targets of his fiery judgment. We become objects of his wrath on account of our decision to defect from the king of the universe. No exceptions. What the Bible teaches in, in the book of Romans, in, in, in the book of Ephesians, is this same terrifying reality that every single sin against God is a capital offense in heaven's empire. If you've sinned even one time in something you thought or an attitude of your heart or something that you did, You declared independence from God. You defected from his kingdom. And you immediately become an enemy of the state. You have committed a capital offense for which the penalty is only and always certain death. The wages of sin is death. And if you've sinned even once, and every single one of us has, the Bible says God's eternal wrath is awaiting you beyond the grave, where you will be separated from him and experience suffering unimaginable forever and ever and ever and ever. By the way, That is the reality that many of our friends and our family members and our co-workers and the kids we go to school with are living in right now. 
that they have sinned and by sinning they have defected, declared the independence from God and have become enemy of the state and they are in the scope of God's target and what awaits them is eternal separation from him and certain suffering forever. That is the scary but true reality of the consequences of sinning against God and all of us are guilty of it. But grace. And this is what Paul is announcing to us. That, that while we were rebelling and, and running from God. You know flexing on our freedom. Like I'm free. While we are on heaven's death row. While we were in the midst of our defection and our rebellion. Heading straight towards eternal punishment, Jesus stepped onto the scene. And he said, I'll trade places with you. Jesus stepped onto the scene and traded places with sinful, rebellious, defecting people, which is the very heart of The gospel, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, look at it again. God made him Jesus who had no sin. He had never so much as thought a sinful thought or had a sinful attitude. He had never declared independence from God, never defected, never did anything to warrant the designation of enemy of state. Never. God made that Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. That's the trade. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the sinless one, became sin for us. And Isaiah paints this trade again in such glorious and gory and vivid language. He says to to us at the end of this section of scripture. That God laid all our iniquity. On Jesus. That's crazy. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the great trade. That God laid all of our rebellion. All of our sin. All of our defection. On the sinless Jesus Christ. And Jesus gladly bore it. In his willingness to trade places with us. That's the heart of the gospel. That when Jesus went to the cross, he volunteered to carry every sin you've ever thought. Every act of rebellion or disobedience against God, he volunteered to carry. Every lustful thought, every greedy decision, every choice you've ever made not to forgive somebody. Jesus gladly carried on himself, every whisper of gossip, every manipulative word that you have ever used, placed on Jesus' shoulders as he traded places with us. All of our sin was placed on the sinless 
one. By the way, can you imagine? I was thinking about this. What this moment would have been like for Jesus. How his soul must have recoiled as his holiness for the very first time touched sin. As my sin and your sin, every single ounce of it was placed on him at the cross when he traded places with us. Jesus, the sinless one, carrying our sin. But that's not a good situation. See, the problem with carrying our sin was that Jesus now also carried our sentence. Because Jesus chose to carry our crimes against the empire of heaven, he now carried our consequences for those crimes. And as you know by now, sin is a capital offense punishable by death. When Jesus took on our sin, he became an enemy of his own state. An offense that is punishable only by death. Now Jesus has to die. But man, it's worse than that. Because the punishment for sin is not just physical death. It's spiritual death. It is separation from God. It is suffering eternally in hell. And when Jesus traded places with us, he took on that sentence. Meaning when Jesus went to the cross... The torment that he experienced was way beyond what Mel Gibson and all of his creativity could possibly capture in the Passion of the Christ. We think about the cross and our eyes immediately go to the nails in his hands. That was not the greatest portion of his suffering. Jesus went to the cross and he endured our hell. I'm telling you, it was such a gory sight that creation protested. If you read the account of the gospel, the sun refused to shine for three hours, almost turning its back saying, we can't even stand to look at what's happening here. And during that three hours, God went to work on his son. Pouring out every ounce of his anger and his wrath and his judgment onto his son. Because he was now carrying every ounce of our sin and our rebellion on his shoulders. I'm telling you what you would experience in hell for an eternity. Would never make God say, okay, that's enough. My anger is exhausted. But somehow on the cross, Jesus was enduring the wrath of God. And there was even a point at which Jesus laments and says to his father, how could you leave me right now? And I picture God just turning his back on Jesus saying, I can't even look at you right now. Carrying the sin that you're carrying. And there was this break in the Holy Trinity for the first time in all of 
eternity. As Jesus experienced both suffering and separation on the cross on account of the fact that he was carrying your sin and carrying my sin. And God just leveled blow after blow, rage after rage. Jesus became the target of God's wrath and God went to school until he was exhausted. And by that, I mean all of his wrath was exhausted on Jesus. And Jesus almost expresses this grateful declaration It is finished. It's done. It's over. By the way, when I think of Jesus in Gethsemane, just, you know, bemoaning what he had to endure, I don't think the bulk of what he was feeling and sweat drops of blood was on account of what he would physically suffer. Oh, that was rough. But it was only the part that we could see with our human eyes. And when Jesus was done absorbing the wrath of God on account of our sin, he died. Because sin is a capital offense. He had to die. And oh, by the way, when we say he died, that's not some poetic way of describing, you know, some like he closed his eyes for a hot minute, you know, or like, you know, if you read the Greek, there's many words for death. No, Jesus died. Like his lungs collapsed. He could not breathe. He suffocated. His heart stopped. Brain activity ceased. Jesus died. His body was taken off the cross and it was placed in a dark cave and a massive boulder was placed over it. (laughs) And I'm just telling y'all, if this was a more vocal, if this was a more expressive church, we would shout at that moment right there when I said, and Jesus died. Because I don't know if you heard, but we call it Good Friday. (laughs) Because you're crazy. No! Because this was the most awesome death of all. All of the deaths ever. This is such an epic scene as Jesus Christ dies and is buried. This is awesome. Woo! (laughs) And I'll tell you why. In case you still think we're crazy. Because you know what his death meant? I'll tell you what it meant. Whatever... Jesus was carrying when he went to the cross, died when he died. (laughs) Oh, man. Whatever was on him died with him and was buried in the grave. I'm just saying. If my sin was on Jesus, sure, it died when he died. If my guilt was on him, it died when he died. If my condemnation was on him, it died when he died. If my separation from God was on him, it died when he died. If my suffering eternally was on him, it died when he died. My hell died when he died because he traded places with me. That's why when we take communion, we're like, hey, hey, as we remember the Lord's death, like we're crazy people. No. His death 
killed whatever was on him. In fact, isn't that what Paul says? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place. And it's not just that he took our imperfection on himself, but he then put his perfection on us. This gets better and better and better. So now, (laughs) when God looks at me, um, he doesn't see my sin because my sin died. What he sees is Jesus' righteousness because, I don't know if I told you, we traded places. So because God looked at Jesus and saw my sin, he now looks at me and sees Jesus' righteousness. Oh, the cross is glorious. The gospel is beautiful. Now, this doesn't mean that I still don't experience shadows of sin and and pain and struggle. But they no longer have the power to determine how God treats me. They no longer have the power to determine how my story ends. This is the gospel. When I put my faith in Jesus as my savior, I am accepting all that he has done to trade places with me. And I'm not just accepting what he's carried for me, what was placed on him, I now have to learn to accept what he's placed on me. And that's where some of us start to struggle. Paul says, oh, 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 no. He placed on you a whole brand new situation thing that's happening here. You are a brand new person. Because of what Jesus Christ did, a new creation completely transformed. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone has trusted in Jesus, if anyone has accepted this trade, all the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. (laughs) You are new. God now looks at you the way he looks at Jesus. Because he looked at Jesus the way he should have looked at you. You are New, you were an enemy of the state. Now you're a friend of God. You're new. You're not the same person before the gospel took effect. Which means, by the way, you've got to get used to your newness. You've got, you're new. I'm sorry. It's it's a trade. You're not an enemy of the state anymore. So any thought that ever crosses your mind that tries to tell you that God is after you or out to get you is a lie. That died when Jesus died. You're new. That's not how he looks at you. This is glorious. You used to be a target of his wrath. Now you're an heir of his wealth. Spoiled. Look at you. You're new. The Bible says you've been blessed in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Which means whatever belongs to Christ, it now belongs to you because you're traded places. You're new. 
Again, so spoiled. Any thought that you are not enough or you just don't have enough. Have you seen your spiritual bank account? You're new. Stop living like you're old. Stop talking like you're old. Stop thinking the old you. You're new. New creation has come. And I get it. Every day we're jumping back and forth. And may the Spirit give us the ability to live in the reality of the new creation. In light of the gospel and what Jesus has done. You were covered in sin. Now you're clothed in righteousness. Oh, try getting used to that one. Some of y'all know what you did last night. You know what you said to your kids on the way to church. With an extra hour of sleep under your belt, mind you. Oh no, we still struggle with sin. We still wrestle with sin. And it is so hard for us to believe when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. See how quiet it got? Because that's the feeling we often have. Like, no, wait a minute. Is, are you sh- You're new. If you traded places with Jesus, you have now become the what? The righteous. I, we read it like 17 times. 17 times, but your old self is still like, there's no way he doesn't treat me or look at me according to the present struggle with sin. Nope. He looks at you and sees the righteousness of Jesus. Get used to it. I'm sorry. It is what it is. That's the glory of the gospel. And I love what Paul says. He says, and uh, there's nothing you did to transform yourself. Boy, the church should be the most humble movement on the planet when we realize how jacked up we were and how destined for death and destruction we were before Jesus stepped in. He says, there's nothing you did. Look at verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Oh, Spirit, may we believe that we could not fix our mess. There was nothing we could have done to get us, ourselves out of this situation. There's nothing we could have done to transform ourselves or make ourselves new. There is nothing your coworkers or your friends or your family can do to transform themselves. And I'm telling you, when we start to believe that, I think our praise will become a little newer. I think we as a church often praise God way too cute. I understand there's room for personalities and Enneagram numbers and, and, you know, Myers-Briggs, you know, letters and all of that. Granted. But I still think there's a part of it that shows up in church and we're like, you're welcome, Lord, we're here. I'm sorry. I'm welcome. There's a part of us that kind of gives him like a holy wave, like I'll give you that one. 
almost like, you know, I think we, we kind of had it. Jesus, thank you for getting us a little bit further down the road. When you realize there was nothing you could have done and he pulled you out of death and destruction and Jesus suffered hell for you, you may be tempted to praise him. You may be tempted to be a little less concerned about who's standing next to you like, I'm sorry, but he did this thing for me. I've just, I've just got to give him the praise that's due his name. I love this. Amen. Woo! Nothing you did, he says. All of this is from God. We were running when Jesus came running after us. We were running from him. We did not clean ourselves up. God did it in the person of Jesus. Praise his name. And this next part is why Mission Point Community Church was launched. It says in verse 18, all of this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Full circle. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. That's incredible. And he has committed to us. The message of reconciliation. We are therefore. We're missionaries. We're Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal to the world. To your co-workers. To your family. To your friends. Through us. So we accept. And we implore you. On Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And here's the gospel again. God, who made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know if you heard, but the moment you were transformed, the moment you became new, you received a new assignment. You became an agent of transformation the moment you were transformed. There is nothing you could do to transform yourself, but there is something you must do to help others experience transformation that only God can pull off. Our transformation has to come full circle. I've been transformed. And the moment I experience transformation, God says, oh, you have an assignment now. I want you to go and share with the world around you that Jesus is in the business of trading places with sinners. I want you to go and go crazy, letting everybody know that I am canceling sin, that I am forgiving sin, that I am making friends with rebels and enemies of The state. Begging the world. To come and experience. What we've experienced. Because here's the reality. If. Our community. Our friends. Our co-workers. Do not come. 
to Jesus to accept the trade he offers. They get to stand in the presence of God on their own merit. They have to figure out a way to be perfect enough to have never sinned. To earn the righteousness of God. If they don't come to the person of Jesus, the reality is that they are going to face the wrath of God's separation from him suffering for eternity. And God is saying, I want to implore the world, come and experience transformation. Come and experience reconciliation with me. Come and experience newness of life. And the means through which God is going to do that... Is through the transformed. It's us. It's us. We need to keep coming back to the gospel. And being reminded. Of what Jesus has done for us. And this is one. Of the ways we I believe are going to get catapulted back into our world. To carry the hope. That we ourselves have experienced. The problem is. This is where I think things break down for the church. I can still remember. When we launched Mission Point. One of the most compelling things we heard. Was that Kosciuszko County. At that time. About 10 years ago. Was a county of 70,000 people. And of those 70,000 people. 50,000. Claimed no church affiliation. Which for many of them meant they claimed no connection to Jesus, no connection to God on a personal level. 50,000 people. Which shook us because we know that this county is overpopulated with churches. How on earth 50,000 people? Because I transformed my church and they stopped. They broke the circle. My goal was for them to continue to share this message of transformation with their community. And somewhere in there we believe this crazy lie. You know, that well, all we need to do is maybe invite our friends to church and then let the professionals tell them about Jesus. But I read in this passage... That if you've been transformed, you are now an agent of reconciliation. You are now an agent of transformation. And I think we realized, oh my goodness. We are expecting people to come through the doors of the churches and hear a message from one person when what God is saying is, no, I've made you agents of reconciliation and I want you to get out into your circles of influence and share my message of hope that Jesus is still trading places with sinners, that I am still reconciling broken people to myself. And as a church, we said, God, please allow us to be here for such a time as this, to be a part of being your mouthpieces in our world. By the way, one of the reasons we did the series before this one on on fear. Because something broke down in the church. And there are tens of thousands of people. The last statistic said something like, you know, it's maybe 43,000 people. And we like to think, Lord, used us and we had a part of that. But that's tens of thousands Thousands of people in our county, in our community. And we as a church are always going to say the same thing. And this is a part 
that gets really uncomfortable. We exist to raise up a movement of everyday missionaries. We believe if you've been transformed by the gospel, then it is now on you to take the message of Jesus into your unique sphere of influence, places the rest of us don't get to go. I don't get to go to my kid's school, but they get to go as agents of transformation. I don't get to go into the orthopedic world, but some of you do. I don't get to go into private sectors. I don't get to go into your homeschool co-op. I don't get to, but you do. You do, and oh, by the way, I can't tell you how much I'm believing the Spirit is stirring up a movement of courage, a movement of compassion, a movement of people who, as Paul says earlier in this passage, compelled by love, we implore people, come to Jesus and experience the greatest trade in all of eternity. God making peace with sinners. I wonder who in your world knows that Jesus is trading places and transforming sinners the way he did for you. So, over the next month or so, we're going to be working on this together. But let me say a couple of things as we close, because it's, it's 1 p.m. <laughs> um, number one, praise. Mentioned this already, but I'm going to mention it again. If Jesus Christ has traded places with you and has carried your sin and your shame and your suffering and your separation, and there was nothing you could possibly do about it but God, then I would encourage you to just praise him a little more. Praise him a little more often. Don't let this day go by without telling him thank you. May we never become over familiar with his gospel. May we never become entitled to what he's done for us. May we always be the privileged and flattered fools who keep coming back to him and saying, for real? Because we understand the gospel. Number two, pray. Pray. God, give me the chance And give me the courage. I think courage is where it broke down for the church. Give me the chance and give me the courage to be a mouthpiece of your transformation to someone in my world. Come on, are you hungry for an opportunity to be the very thing that he's called you to be in light of your transformation? Pray, please give me an opportunity and make it clear and give me the courage to take the opportunity to share that Jesus is trading places with sinners. Show me who in my circle I can bring your transformation full circle with. This month. Pray. Ask him. Um, Last thing. Practice. Practice. This is actually going to take practice. This is actually going to take work. I don't know if you knew, but anything you want to get better at actually takes some work. It is amazing that our greatest mission, our greatest assignment is one that we just don't put any effort into. And we want that to change. We want to practice. We we want to figure this thing out. In other words, do you know how you would share the gospel with someone if slash when God gives you that opportunity? Do you know what you would say? In fact, for many of us, we say, I don't know what I would say. Hmm. 
but that's what we do. Like, um, since I don't know what to say, hmm. uh, no, let's figure it out. There are thousands of souls in your family and your friend groups and your co-workers who desperately need the mouthpiece that is you to carry hope to them. So do you know what you would say if slash when God gives you the opportunity to share hope with someone in your circle? So this week, that's your homework. I don't think we give enough homework at church. And yet we know that the greatest church work is the homework. It's the stuff we do when we leave this place. So that's your homework this week. Craft a hope note. We'll call it that. A hope note. Two sentences or less based on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Of how you would share the gospel of what Jesus has done. To offer forgiveness with someone in your circle. And then I'd encourage you, like, run it by someone in your small group. Hey, what do you think about this? I don't think you should. Yeah, maybe. uh, Yeah, maybe take out the swear word. Um, Let's maybe abbreviate it a little bit. Like, run it by some people and help them, you know, help you craft this thing. Or email Jeff at missionpoint.net. Just run it by him and let him play an editorial role. But let's do that. Let's sharpen our craft. Let's be better mouthpieces. Let's practice this. Let's practice this. Uh, here's mine. The one I'm, I'm working on. Um, it's more of a question. I thought, man, a question would be good for the people that the Lord has laid on my heart. So I'm going to, this is it. If you knew... That Jesus would forgive every sin you've ever committed and make you right with God forever. Would you ask him to? It's like a survey question. It puts them in a situation where they can say yes or they can say no. And if they say yeah, I, I would. What's, what's keeping you? So this is the one I'm working on. Again, you can help me craft this and edit it. And here's the trick of the whole thing. Um, the best thing you could do with this is use us as an excuse. Do you know what I'm going to do with this? I already know somebody I'm going to send it to this afternoon who I know does not know the Lord. And you know what I'm going to say? Hey, our church is trying to figure out how to better share hope, our hope with the people kind of in our world who might not know Jesus. And I, 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 I'm not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, but I think you could help me. Like if I share something like this with you, What do you think? What does it sound like? Give me some input. Like this is a great way to get into a conversation with somebody who might not know Jesus. Because they'll actually be the first person to say, if you said that to me, I would feel like you were judging me. So what would you say differently? Well, what are you trying to say? Glad you asked. What I'm trying to say is, well, the way I would say it is, and if this is true, then is it true? I can pray and I can dream about how this conversation will go. It usually doesn't go that way, but I refuse to quit. This is the mission. But this is a great thing for you to say that, I mean, our church is making us do this weird thing. So um, do you mind if I share something with you? And just tell me how it strikes you. Does it sound judgy? Does it sound hopeful? Does it sound like something you would believe in? And Bada bing, you're in a conversation. 
And I'm telling you, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some crazy things. We're going to talk about partnerships with schools and the ways that we want to make a difference in the world in really practical ways because of what the gospel has done. But don't be surprised if I ask you, hey, have you gotten to share the gospel with someone this week? Have you gotten to craft? Do you mind standing up and sharing your little hope note with the rest of us? Um, We may just talk about this together. Just how's it going? How's it going? So even now, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to do a hope note thing with somebody next to you. Um, but as we wrap, elders are going to come up and we're going to be up here. If you want somebody to pray with, and if you have somebody who you already know, the Lord has laid on your heart and you want to see them experience transformation, we would, man, we would love to pray that the Lord would do what only he can do. But we would also love to pray that he would give you another opportunity to maybe share with them. We'd love to pray with you. Um, Or maybe you're sitting with somebody and you're like, man, there's somebody on my heart. Do you mind taking 10 seconds to pray with me before we step out? I would encourage you to to, to do that even even where you are. We're going to just continue to pray that God is going to open doors and give us courage and open doors and give us courage and see this whole county transformed by the message of the gospel. So next week, come back. We're going to continue this conversation because... If you were jacked up and messed up and Jesus came after you and he took stuff off your shoulders to make you new. Shouldn't that affect the way we treat the people in our community? What we expect them to be, how we expect them to show up or what we'd be willing to do and how inconvenient we're willing to get for their sake if the gospel has affected us. So turn with me. No, I'm kidding. We're done. Lord, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We praise you for coming after us in Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for being willing to take our place. Thank you for absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf when we did not deserve it. Spirit of the living God, give us unusual courage and unusual sensitivity um, and creativity in sharing your hope with the people in our world. And we pray that you would awaken life that you would transform this community. But we don't want to just pray that. We want to practice it. You've called us to be your mouthpieces. Help us to be just that. We praise you. Commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.